Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Larry Butler and I have known each other for a long time. In fact, we're still best of friends. You'll hear more about our friendship and how our lives intersected as you listen to Larry's Grace Story. You see, Larry is a unique thinker and a lay philosopher. He he sought the truth and eventually found it, but not before going down some interesting paths on his way to the truth. And then later, our lives will intersect until today as we remain best friends. So, this is Larry's Grace Story. Larry Butler and I have known each other for a long time. In fact, we're still best of friends. You'll hear probably more about our friendship and how our lives intersected as you listen to Larry's Grace Story. So, Larry, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Charlie. I appreciate it very much. Um, really? Happy to be here and be able to share my story. Um, just to tell you a little bit about myself. Yeah, lean, lean uh, back. You, you sound better when you're leaning back like that. And tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, family, and so forth. Yeah, I, I'm the oldest of seven children. My mother uh, had seven of us. Uh, my father father uh, died when I was 10. And so she was left with that responsibility of, you know, taking care of all of us, raising us. Um, I'm the oldest, of course. And um, I have two brothers. I had uh, four sisters. Three of them have since died. But um, uh, we had a mother that was a very, very good mother. She was one who looked out for us taught us right from wrong. And we also had the influence of the Catholic church because we all grew up Catholic. My mother, grandmother, you know, whole family was Catholic. And um, my mother made sure we went to church every Sunday. We um, went to church, Sunday school. Uh, My brother Francis uh, was actually an altar boy. Uh-huh. And uh, he uh, he went to actually went to Catholic school. So uh, we were very much a part of the Catholic Church. And uh, it was a predominantly white Catholic Church that uh, we all attended. And so uh, there were not many blacks there. And so we were recognized and well known <laughs> in the church. And what part of the country was this in? This is in Hydesville. This is in Maryland. Hydesville, Maryland. Hydesville, Maryland, uh, just outside of D.C. And we we grew up there. We lived there most of our lives. So what what did Catholicism mean to you at that point? I mean, were you just going through the rituals and wrote um, ceremonies or did you find any meaning there? Well, Catholicism to me at that time was simply something that was the family religion. We all uh, were Catholics. And so uh, 
we went to Sunday school, we were taught certain things about the Catholic Church being the only true church. And so we grew up with that belief system, believing that Catholicism was the only true church. And the way you got to heaven, basically, was being a good Catholic, uh, making sure you died with no mortal sins on your soul and thinking that you needed to. uh, And if you did have any venial sins, you could go to purgatory and have those purged and you would uh, be, uh, you know, assured your entrance into heaven. So Catholicism played a big part in our lives growing up. Yeah. Um, I know, though, that it must not have satisfied you because you've told me before about some of the things that you started searching into looking for truth. Yeah. Uh, tell us tell us about that journey and uh, where where that took you. Yeah, well, basically, um, after uh, high school, <clears throat> I, uh, I graduated high school and wasn't too sure what I wanted to do. And so I uh, went to work and my first job out of high school was uh, at the White House. I, I worked at the White House as a stenographer. In high school, I had taken typing in shorthand. And um, I was the only guy in my class, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and uh, Was that by design? <laughs> when I... <laughs> It's all, it's all the grace of God. It's, okay. <laughs> but I uh, ended up at the White House. And uh, during that time, of course, this is 1967, 68. In 68, uh, Martin Luther King was shot and killed. And that had a tremendous impact on my life because uh all I knew about Dr. King was good. He was a good man. He was a guy who was simply fighting for black people. He was a guy who was leading marches, taking the arrows. Um, I mean, he was on the front lines every day. Uh And so his, his assassination really, really hit me. So uh, I began to kind of look into his life. And, and in the process, you know, you begin to ask yourself certain questions, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, why is there evil in the world? Why is there racism? Uh, Why is, where is God? Does he care? Does he know? Those questions began to flood my mind because uh, here was a man that I really respected who was killed I had never really asked these questions before, and this his assassination just was a had a real impact on me. So I began to search, ask the questions about what is life, what is truth, what is beauty, you know, why are we here? Is there a God? Uh, I think those are the kinds of questions you normally ask, or, or you tend to ask when there are crises in your life, and uh, you want to try to put it all together because somehow it doesn't seem to fit. So, so I began to look. Yeah. Your, your yeah. reaction was more to search for truth. It wasn't a reaction of anger or bitterness or was it? No, I, it wasn't so much anger and bitterness. Um, be, and, I, and I think that was because um, I had no bitterness against 
white people. I, I never really had that. Um, I had friends who were white. Um, I had very close friends who were white. And I had enjoyed wonderful relationships with them. Uh, I, I had grown up in a white Catholic church. Um, I couldn't find myself hating the people that I had known all my life because this had happened, but I wanted to know why it happened. Why do we do these things to each other? Yeah. And um, so that, that, was, that was key. So in looking for truth, I began my search. And eventually, uh, after a couple of years at the White House, I left there. Uh, I attended, uh, thought I needed some education because I didn't get much in high school. Uh, not because of the school, but because yeah. of me. <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> um, I uh, attended uh, Prince George's Community College. And uh, in attending there, I went there for one reason. I wanted to read and study philosophy. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I had read a book by Martin Luther King entitled stride towards freedom. And in that book, he talked about his, his journey to nonviolent resistance and the people who influenced him, the philosophers and the people he read who really helped shape his philosophy. And so, uh, you know, I was being introduced to people like Martin Buber and Schopenhauer and, um, uh, you know, Plato. And I thought, wow, I got to take a course in philosophy. So I get to PG college and I decide I'm going to take this course in philosophy. And this, it was an introductory course, but I really got interested in it and found myself reading a lot of these philosophers because they were asking these same questions. Mm -hmm. They were wrestling with truth and beauty and existence and, and so forth. So I thought I would find my answers there. And so um, Socrates, Aristotle, uh, some of your classic philosophers, and then you get into people like Kierkegaard, the existentialist, uh, looking in Nietzsche, looking into what these people were saying about just life, hoping to find answers. Were you landing and, on any particular uh, one? One makes more I sense didn't than really the other. I, I kind of liked Plato. Plato was he he was more of a uh, he was more of a theoretician, I guess, than than Aristotle. Aristotle was a very, very uh, earthy. I I describe him as an earthy philosopher. Mm -hmm. Someone, uh, Aristotle wrote on biology, for instance. I don't think yeah. Plato wrote on that. Right. I mean, he wrote on uh, argumentation and so forth. He was a very, uh, uh, a very earthy kind of a guy. And somebody that, uh, again, I, I read a little bit about these guys. I didn't delve a lot into their philosophies. But Plato held my interest because he did deal with with issues of beauty and uh, his 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 uh, republic that he wrote, uh, I thought was interesting at the time. Um, but 
after a while, these guys really didn't really didn't answer my questions. And over a period of time, one of the things I've discovered is as you are reading in one area of whatever the subject is, it leads you to other areas. And so as I was reading, I was being led into other areas of philosophy and economics and things that I had never really studied before, but I began to read. And eventually I ended up reading a lot of things by Karl Marx and Engels. Hmm. And man, I thought I had found nirvana. I, uh, <laughs> I ended up reading a biography on Marx and the biography made this guy seem like he was heaven sent. He was a saint. Hmm. This guy was writing, he was developing a philosophy that, um, uh, was going to change the world and redistribute wealth and we'd all be happy and there'd be utopia on earth and there'd be nirvana and everybody would have equal shares of everything. And I thought, wow, this guy is awesome. And who could doubt this guy? I mean, who could question him? And um, so I, I really began to get caught up into a lot of the Marxist thinking and his, uh, I read his Communist Manifesto. Um, he, he also had uh, Das Kapital, which I don't think anybody reads because there were like three or four volumes and each one, each volume was twice the size of the Bible. Mm. Uh, so you don't read them. You just look at them. <laughs> um, he. But you read but, it. But pardon did you, me. Did you read it? Oh, absolutely That's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I did. I did read the Communist Manifesto, mm -hmm. which was a, which was you know very, a very small volume. Right. But uh, Das Kapital was just a tremendous work of all kind with all kinds of economic formulas in there and and so forth. But Marx fascinated me because I felt this guy really cared about humanity. His biography uh, portrayed him as someone who really had a uh, was concerned about the disparity between the rich and the poor, uh, between the haves and the have-nots, and he had devised a system whereby there would be this equal distribution of wealth, and um, and I thought, well, that's that's what we need, and maybe if we did that, people wouldn't be killing each other. Who knows? Hmm. But but that was kind of my my thinking at the time. Did that put um, you into a, I, a, a group of people or were you, were you doing this solo? Uh, basically, initially I was doing it solo. I, I was simply doing the reading and, um, uh, and eventually while at PG college, uh, I started, I started a black student union. Back in the 60s and early 70s, Black Student Unions were very popular on college campuses. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started the Black Student Union. I was head of the Black Student Union. Um, and uh, we did a lot of things. I, I tried to uh, uh, spread my Marxist philosophies as I understood them, trying to help other Black students understand the, the value of Marxist thought. Um, also very involved with the uh, 
a group called SDS, yeah. the uh, Students for a Democrat Society. They were very popular with that. And so the SDS and the Black Student Union kind of worked in, in conjunction with each other on certain things. Mm-hmm. But my, my uh, understanding of things just kept, uh, well, I should say, I started just developing this idea that the evil that we see, how do we cope with that if, you know, if we don't have uh, some way of determining what was good? So I was wrestling with good and evil. Marx didn't really address that other than talking about uh, the capitalist versus the bourgeoisie versus I mean, the, the, the worker party and so forth. All of those things coming together, but they did not really answer a lot of my questions. But I kept searching and I was I was comfortable with Marx. I was comfortable with him. Mm-hmm. Well, about this time, I'm asking myself the question, is there a God? Hmm. And I wasn't sure there was. So I guess I was more of an agnostic at that point. Not really sure where God fit into all this. Marx was not a believer in God. Uh, his father, from what I understand, was a pastor, and uh, Marx was a Jew, and he, uh, his father had encouraged him uh, to go into the pastor, and, and Marx had no interest in that. Huh. But now, he, uh, he had a brilliant, pardon me? No, I'm, I'm, no go ahead, go ahead. Uh, he, he was a, uh, but he had a brilliant mind, so after uh, a couple of years at PG College, uh, a friend of mine suggested that I may want to go to Catholic University. And so he said he could get me into Catholic University with some financial help and so forth. So I attended Catholic University for a year, uh, took some religion classes. I enjoyed those because I believe the professor was also a Marxist. And even though he was teaching a religion class, you you weren't necessarily required to believe the Catholic religion. It was basically a class to come into and kind of express your views, what you thought about things, but you weren't required to believe anything, even though it was a Catholic university. Okay. Um, I I spent uh, a year there and not really sure what I wanted to do. I dropped out, had some money saved and decided I would go to Europe. (laughs) Uh. I needed to get out of the country, you know, Uh, wanted to find myself, kind of get an idea. I I was still looking for this elusive thing called truth. Why are we here? These big questions in my mind that no one was really answering. Hmm. By the way, uh, can I, can I just ask, back up a second and ask this question. Uh, You were doing a philosophical search and as the head of the Black Student Union and so forth, did anything ever go from the theoretical to the practical or activism? Were you very active in any demonstrations? Yeah, actually, I ended up uh, going to, uh, as a a member of the uh, Black Student Union, uh, I ended up going to Chicago uh, 
1969 to work with uh, Operation Breadbasket, which was an organization started by uh, uh, Jesse Jackson. And uh, I went there, uh, and part of the reason for going there was to uh, to get involved with his organization and uh, helping the people of Chicago. He had a great uh, outreach there, and uh, I thought it would be cool to work with Jesse Jackson. I mean, this guy was the right-hand man of Dr. King, and I thought this would be cool, man, so let me go up here and do this. So. We got to Chicago. I went up with a friend. Chicago, uh, the, the work was not what I thought it would be. I, I was, you know, sometimes when you look at people and you think they're great, they become idols to you in certain areas. And you think that these people are really great people. And then you get to work with them or see them off camera and live with them or whatever. And you say, this is not what I bargained for. Yeah. Uh, I began to see that. Mm. Yeah, I began to see that. And a lot of the various people that I knew who were local leaders in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, I remember I can mention their names. They're they're gone now. But one was uh, uh, David Eaton, uh, Charles Cassell, uh, who was head of the... um, head of the uh, D.C. school board. Uh, David Eaton was a pastor of All Souls Unitarian Church. Um, A guy named Chuck Stone, who had written a book on black political power in America. These guys all proved to be something other than what they appeared to be, Hmm. David Eaton in particular. And as I got to know these people and uh, and and kind of intertwined with them on a certain level. They were just not the people that I thought they were. And can you get more Jesse specific Jackson about that? Me. Get more specific about that. I, I well, I, I'll give you a very good example. Uh, um, David Eden um, was the keynote speaker at a at an an event that we were holding at the college to celebrate Black Week. Black History Week. And uh, it was the last night of this particular uh, week and David Eden was gonna close out. And he did, he gave a rip roaring speech about blackness, about um, the uh, importance of uh, thinking black, being black, uh, acknowledging your blackness and never shy away from that and always be sure to promote your blackness. So I'm thinking, okay, great. So we end that meeting and we end up going to going back to one of the professor's office. Uh, This professor was instrumental in getting uh, David Eaton at this meeting. And and so he, we went back to his office to just kind of talk a bit. And, and as we were there, David Eaton asked my friend, if he could borrow the key to his apartment. And uh, my friend said, well, yeah, what do you need the key for? He says, well, I have a little white filly that I like to take by there before I go home. A little white filly. Yeah, uh, a young white girl 
gotcha. that he was going to spend some time with before he went home with his to his wife. Now, this is the Reverend David Eaton hmm. that wanted to do this. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to him and I'm watching. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm scratching my head. Wait a minute. You're not supposed to be doing this, right? You just gave this great talk on blackness, how we have to stand up for our blackness and all this stuff. And now you're going to take some young white girl to another guy's apartment so you can be with her before you go home to your wife. So my friend gives him the key and <laughs> and I, uh, I'm kind of sitting there with my mouth open. And my friend says something to me that, was one of the truest things I'd heard up to that point. And he said, Larry, things are seldom as they appear. Hmm. And that was kind of a, a rule for me from that point on. Hmm. I, I, I began to understand that the issue is never the issue. Huh. What That's is put good. out there as the issue is never the issue. That's a good There's quote always too. something else. Yeah, the issue is never the issue. Well, look, you were on your way to Europe and I interrupted you. So did you did you make it there? And uh, what did you find yeah. in Europe besides the fact that you couldn't communicate with people in English? <laughs> yeah, I got to Europe, um, landed in Belgium. You know, I'm all alone. I, I don't speak French. <laughs> they didn't want to speak English or, you know, so I'm just kind of hanging around the airport all day um, until I meet this American guy named Mike. And uh, he and I kind of hooked up and went to Amsterdam, got a, a bar, got a room over a bar. And uh, that's where I stayed for about a month, hmm. just kind of hanging out there, um, just enjoying this, the, just enjoying uh, Amsterdam. I, I went down to Rotterdam for a while and uh, just kind of traveled around, just kind of wandering, meandering. Still, you know, in those days, we called it trying to find yourself. Right? right. And I was trying to find myself and ask myself, answer these great questions. And uh, and I realized that, you know, Europeans didn't have any answers either. OK. I mean, these questions, these questions are just basic to me. And I, I just needed to to look. So I stayed over there for about what, two months just kind of hanging out or so. And then I, uh, I, I came back here to the States, uh, out of work, no job, no money. And, uh, I got a, I ran into a guy one day who asked me if I wanted to sell cookware. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, I said, well, yeah, sure. So he had me come to his office and, uh, Sure enough, that's where I uh, started to sell cookware. I met a guy named Charles Bean. Uh, yeah, we had a mutual friend, and he recruited us both <laughs> into his sales organization. <laughs> so, so now our lives intersect. Even though we went to the same high school and lived not far from each other, we didn't really know each other. I knew your brother some. Uh yeah. So, so now we're in the sales company together. And so were, were you looking for money or were you looking for any kind of meaning in the sales company? No, I just wanted money at that point. 
Uh, I wasn't even sure there were any answers to my questions. <laughs> I just wanted money. I come back right. from Europe. I was broke. I didn't have any money. So I was looking for money. I didn't have a job. Um, uh, our mutual friend said, you know, I could make good money selling cookware. Well, I made some money. I can't say it was good money. Uh, I made a little bit of money. But that experience is where I really begin to think that maybe I'll just forget this, this quest for truth and just go ahead, go out and just try to get, make some money. And have but, fun time because now here's, here's part of the story that I'll pitch in. We end up living <laughs> together. Three, oh, yeah. Three of us yeah. guys end up living together, rooming together, working for this company. And we weren't being too philosophical <laughs> <laughs> or, or religious in any way. We were just uh, having a good time. Well, you take the story from there. Well, uh, I don't know if you and I remember the same thing. I remember uh, uh, going to New York to meet Claire. Right. You remember that? Yes. Yes. Uh, going, we went to New York up to an area I think called Hicksville, New York. Wow, for you remember sales good. that was for training, yeah. That was for training, and we, we went there, and uh, that's where we met this young lady, Claire. She was with the same company. She was also there for training, but uh, but our paths crossed, and we had an opportunity to meet her and and get to know her. And I remember her coming back to uh, uh, our hotel room with us. The, the four of us were there and we were all talking and she began to share her belief in Jesus Christ. She began to share the gospel. And, you know, we were all kind of sitting there listening to her, just being polite, I think, uh, except Daryl, Daryl, Daryl. <laughs> uh, Daryl thought that, you know, she would be um, that he was looking forward to some of the things she was saying, because in his mind, it meant like everybody would be uh, immoral and free sex would be abundant. And he wanted to be a part of that. So he found a great deal of, uh, uh, of uh, satisfaction in this coming breakdown of the world. But that's another story. You mean talking, but she I was think talking a lot about future things. But she was talking about future things, yeah. about so things Hal that Lindsay's were going to happen. Book was in a big the deal then. The late great planet Earth. It was a big deal. It was a big deal, and I and I have to tell you the story about that because after we left New York, we came back down to Maryland, and that summer Claire came to work with us mm -hmm. out of the office, and when she came to that office, she continued to witness to us, share the gospel with us, and I would kind of brush her off because I wasn't interested and I told her that I want to hear all that. And um, she was so kind and she was so nice. And I didn't have a car at the time. She would give me a ride home. And I would think, oh, man, I got to ride home with Claire again today. I got to hear this <laughs> stuff. Right. Well, you know, my and, impression of her was she always had a big smile on her face and carried a big Bible. And <laughs> and we used to make fun of her behind her back. But then she became such a nice <laughs> yes. person. She was such a nice person 
that we yeah. had to we couldn't really make fun of her. She was a genuinely, <laughs> sincerely nice person. <laughs> she really was. And I think one of the things I admired about Claire was the fact that sometimes when we did talk seriously and I would ask her questions, Claire was honest enough to say, I don't know the answer to your question. And mm -hmm. that really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. She wasn't trying to give me a snow job. She wasn't trying to be a know-it-all. She wasn't trying to be a Bible scholar. She's Larry, I really don't know the answer to your question. She said, but I'll try to find them. Mm -hmm. And I always, and I've told her that I, I've always appreciated that about her. Uh, but she began to share with us the gospel and, uh, and she shared it with all of us, all four of us. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just interesting to see how you look at the sovereignty of God and um, how he kind of uh, brought this group together. And yet all, and all four of us heard this message, but not everybody believed. That, that is such a, uh, a profound thing to me, that yeah. we all heard this message and not everybody believed. Yeah. Um, but I remember one weekend, I don't know if you know this, Charles. I remember one weekend, Claire was going home to Philadelphia. <laughs> and I said, uh, and she wanted me to go home with her to meet her parents. And I'm thinking, no, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, don't want to go meet your parents. Uh, she said, well, okay, well, I'm going to go home. I'll be back on Sunday. Well, that weekend I went to a bookstore and I thought, I'm going to go find a book that will help me debate Claire because I knew nothing about the Bible. And I thought I would find a book that would help me refute Claire. Well, I go to the bookstore, don't know what I'm looking for. I find this book, The Late Great Planet Earth. I pick mm -hmm. the book up and I, I come home that evening. Well, that evening, the girl I was dating calls me and she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm here, not doing it. She said, I'm coming over, I need to talk to you. She comes over that evening with, hand in hand with this other guy. And this is the girl that I'm dating. Right. OK. She's hand in hand with this other guy. What she did not know was that the guy and I knew each other, <laughs> but he did not know that she knew me. So when he heard that, he was anxious to see me. And he comes in and they announced they're getting married. They've been dating for a couple of months. And when he found out that she knew me, he wanted to come and tell me, and he was all excited. She never mentioned to him that she and I were dating. Oh, my goodness. And I never, and I never mentioned to him hmm. that she and I were dating. Hmm. I just told him, have a great life. He said, she's a wonderful girl. I said, well, she's different. You know, yeah, have a wonderful life. And you guys, uh, and I, as a matter of fact, I asked him to send me an invitation. They never did. <laughs> but that evening, I decided I was going to read the late great planet earth. So I would be ready for Claire. I wasn't going to let this girl bother me. Right. Yeah. And when I started reading that book, it just really gripped me. And I read most of that book that night. The next day, Claire comes back. And I said, Claire, she says, look, I have a gift for you. She said, I brought you something. 
And I said, okay. And she shows me the late great planet Earth on cassette tape. <laughs> cassette tape. And she had it on cassette tape. I said, Claire, I read the book. <laughs> she said, you read the book? How could you read that? I said, I saw it in a bookstore and I picked it up and I read it. And that began my serious discussions with her about the Bible. Because now I was beginning to see there's something behind this. And uh, I began to take Claire much more seriously. You know, our, our journeys are parallel. I read that book also about the same time. And this is the summer of 1973, correct? Right, right. And I read the book about the same time. I don't know. My memory of details is not like yours. But it was, I was also going through this same search and ended up with that same book. And, and it really did affect me also. And I don't know when we ever ended up talking about it, but, but uh, you, you continue your part of the story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so where did this uh, relationship with Claire, this witnessing relationship go to? Well, after, yeah, after that, uh, I began to listen to her more, more, more uh, acutely uh, because it was beginning to make a little bit of sense to me. I was still wrestling with it, but it, it was interesting to me just from a, from a historical point of view, I began to think about the Roman empire and, and those facts and things began to interest me. And the late great planet earth, I, I did finish the book. Um, and I was, uh, I was fascinated because if all this stuff is going to happen, you know, how is it going? How did God, how did it, how is it going? You know, it was just these kinds of questions that just seemed to fascinate me more than anything else at the time. Hmm. But Claire began to talk to me about my sin. And I'll, I'll never forget it because the, my sin that was a touchy thing because, you know, I think most of us think we're pretty good people mm -hmm. and um, dealing with your sin is, is, is not something we all like to deal with. Um, but she would point out to me that Christ can only save sinners. Hmm. You know, he only saves sinners. And, um, and if I was interested in salvation, then it was necessary that I understand why I needed salvation. And that was because of my sin. And I couldn't do anything about that. I couldn't erase it. I couldn't do enough good things to compensate for it. I, there was nothing I could do personally that was going to take away my sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross could take away my sin. And that's when it really became heavy thinking for me. Um, there were many days I, I wrestled with those thoughts. I had heard those things in the Catholic Church, mm. but not the way Claire was presenting. I, I didn't, the Catholic Church presented it to me as a historical fact, Jesus died on the cross. It, they did not present to me a person who died on the cross, whose blood was shed and who rose again from the dead. And I could have a relationship with him now. That I never got. Right. I never understood that that relationship was vital if I was going to 
be a child of God and go to heaven. And my experience and, was similar uh, in the religious uh, background where I grew up, not Catholic, but a major Protestant denomination. I knew the historical facts, but never had it related to my, my own life. Yeah, it's, it's and, and if you grew up in a family where you have these kinds of, uh, uh, you know, we all grow up with, grow up with traditions and, and belief systems. And it's very difficult when you have a belief system, when someone brings you something that appears to be really true to leave that belief system or to begin to question that belief system. Mm -hmm. uh, it's difficult. And I, I see this with people who are in the cults. They've been taught a certain way. And so I understand that I'm wrestling not against flesh and blood, but understand that people have these systems and you've got to bring people out of that. And only God and his spirit can do that. He has to convict of sin. He has to open their eyes. He has to open their hearts to the truth of the message. And so our job is to share. And those, and that's what she did. And so she's, she said, Larry, you can trust Christ anytime you like. She said, but just understand, uh, you've got to deal with your sin issue. And you've got to recognize that you are a sinner. And Charlie, there were mornings, and I can remember two mornings in particular, I got up because I really did want to trust Christ. And I got down on my knees to pray. And as sure as I'm talking to you, I could hear a voice saying, get up off your knees. No one is listening to you. Hmm. And I got up. Hmm. I got up because I thought, hey, this is stupid. You know, this is stupid. And, um, but it, it, it would bother me. And I, and, I, and I realized later that I was actually wrestling. I was actually wrestling. And another morning I got down on my knees to pray. And, and I didn't know what to say. Uh, I got tongue tied. I, and I thought, there's no one listening to me. And I got up. Hmm. And um, then one morning, I. I okay, so uh, we had a little freeze here. You said, then one morning you got I'm up. I'm a center. Yeah, let's start over again. I'm a froze up for a second there. Um, you said, then one, then one morning you got up. Yeah. Yeah. Then one morning I, I got out of bed and I, I didn't even really get up. I just kind of rolled out of bed onto the floor on my knees. And I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I just started crying. Hmm. I, I, I said, I'm, I'm, I, I need Jesus in my life. I don't, I don't understand everything, but I believe that he died for my sins. It was words to that effect. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 all I could do was cry because I was so aware of my sin. That was another thing that was so real to me because I knew, you know, we all have secret sins. And I had these secret sins that no one else knew about. And I looked good on the outside, but inside I was full of dead men's bones sin, you know, and I began to realize that Jesus could take away those sins. So he did. So, and when I got, 
So you're, 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 uh, this was when we were living together. So you're in the bedroom next to me. I'm in the bedroom. Exactly. You're, you're praying and crying and I'm doing my own search. And, and I don't know exactly when during that summer, I believed in Jesus Christ based on going back to the Bible and reading it and Claire's counseling and talking back and forth. Uh, my, my memory is not as explicit as yours, but uh, to think that this is happening to both of us at the same time. Um, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And then to think on the other side of the apartment were two other guys who were not even interested in this. They were actually, <laughs> you hostile. Know, they were actually very hostile. They, they really were. They really were hostile to, and it's wow. So you, you just thank God for his grace. Uh-huh. Um, unexplainable because grace. unexplainable grace, why, why us amazing. Not, grace. Why us, not them. Exactly. And they had the same opportunities. Yeah. They heard the same message. Um, so I remember that morning after I had uh, stopped crying, I called Claire. And I said, Claire, I think I did it. <laughs> That's all I got. I said, I think I did it. <laughs> and she said, you did it? I said, Claire, I said, I prayed this morning and asked Jesus to save me. She said, you did and that morning, she said, I'll come pick you up. And she came, she picked me up to go out to, to eat so I could tell her the story. Mm. And, um, and from that point on, Charlie, my life, as you know, I mean, my life was just totally different. I, I had a hunger for the word of God. That was probably the greatest evidence to me, mm. this hunger I had for the word of God. I and wanted to hear it. Yeah, this is when we really converge in our stories, because my memory is that we would just stay up all night talking about the Bible and things yes. we had heard, yes. things we had read about the Bible. And we didn't go to church. No, we didn't. We, did, we didn't have a church to, to go no. to. I mean, I didn't belong to a church. You didn't belong to a church. Right. And, and I, I often tell people in those early days how God literally discipled us through his word. You know, he he kind of took us aside in 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 our uh, infancy, and he rooted us and grounded us in his word. Even though we weren't in a church, we weren't part of any group, but we loved the word of God, and we were sharing it with people. You know, we were sharing it with people. Um, I, I didn't know anything about these these uh, the various tools and things that were available. I just knew that something tremendous had happened to me. And it just seemed natural that you would go tell people this. Um, which, which you I have went, spent a lifetime doing. <laughs> Larry <laughs> yeah, is I, uh, Larry's one of the best evangelists I know on a personal evangelism level. He has had a rich uh, ministry of sharing the gospel in small groups or with people or with people on the street. Uh, no matter where, where he's working, uh, he is sharing the gospel with someone. And uh, I saw so I'm kind of fast forwarding to a little bit into into where this took you, but uh, Larry sure. has been a very effective witness and led many of your acquaintances and friends and strangers to the Lord, didn't you? Yes, God has blessed that effort a lot. Um, I'm grateful that uh, you know it's sharing the gospel is should be as normal for us as breathing, but 
it's just telling your story. Right. It's telling your story. You know, what was your life before Christ? How Christ impacted your life and your life since. And uh, I have had the pleasure of just being able to share that with people. Not everybody believes um, you shared and people walk away from you. Uh, that hurts you because you know that this, this is truth. This is life itself. One of the things that fascinated me about the, the, the gospel was the person of Christ. You know, I was going through life trying to find out what is truth? What is beauty? Is there a God? Why are we here? These philosophers I was reading, they were asking the same kinds of questions. And the thing I noticed about Jesus was that he wasn't asking those questions. Mm -hmm. He was giving answers. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You can't come to God except through me. He was saying, he was identifying himself as the person that I was looking for unknowingly. Mm. I didn't know I was looking for this person. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was looking for God. If I could have found truth uh, and, and it contained God, fine. If I found truth and it didn't contain God, fine. I just wanted to find truth. Mm -hmm. But when I found out the truth was a person, and, and his name was Jesus. Um, man, it was like it was like Christmas every day. And that know? was decades ago, but you've never let go of that truth. Nothing has dissuaded you from it. Nothing has dissuaded me, uh, Charlie. Uh, I've encountered people who have come up with uh, great reasons as to why they don't believe. You know, friend, I can't I can't make you believe. I can share the word of God with you, but uh, men have devised their own, their own means of arriving at what they think is truth. And, but in the, in the end, everybody will answer to God. Everybody will answer to him. And so what I've tried to do is simply help people to see where they are now and where they could be through Christ, what he has offered them, what he has done for them. And, uh, Hopefully, at some point, they'll see it. And because they don't see it today doesn't mean they won't see it tomorrow right. or the next day or right. 10 years from now. You know, sometimes we're, we're just, you know, most of the time, you know, we're just links in the chain. You know, some well, water, some so some water. God gives the increase. God gives the increase. Uh, Larry and I have remained friends through these decades. Uh, not that we talk every day, but when when I'm in the dc area we're sure to visit or when he's down this way we're sure to visit and uh we do keep in touch um but when it, one thing about larry whenever i talk to him he's always witnessing to someone he's always got somebody on the line so just give us an example of, of something re recent because i know there's things recent yeah. in your evangelism Th through the years uh god, god has kind of led me through a lot of different groups and types of people and so forth. Uh, the gospel is for everybody. Um, uh, for a while there, I was kind of in a, in a, uh, in a circle of, of homosexuals where I was always meeting homosexuals. Uh, God equips us for what he wants us to do. And he, he leads us into areas that he has already prepared us, prepared us for. 
And so one of the early people who influenced my life as a new believer, there were two people in particular, uh, J. Vernon McGee and his Through the Bible radio program, which was mm-hmm. very, very helpful. Right. And uh, I listened to Dr. McGee every morning. And then I would also listen to Dr. Walter Martin mm-hmm. and his series on the cults. And he was a great teacher about the cults. Kingdom of and the cults. Kingdom of the cults. And that particular ministry uh, always fascinated me. And I always wanted to learn about other religious groups. And, uh, and, and maybe I had this philosophical bent that I've always had. But I guess that was what kind of led me into these cult ministries. And so recently I've been dealing with uh, two particular groups. Uh, the uh, 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 two guys from the Mormon church, two elders. It always tickles me. They have these young guys, 19, 20 years old, and they're elders. But these elders uh, called me one day, and they had my name from someplace, and they wanted to talk with me. And I had a chance to meet with them a a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we uh, had a nice meeting. And and if I can just suggest one thing, Charlie, the... uh, you know, working with people who are involved in cults and, and other religious groups, I think one of the important things we have to always keep in mind is that these ministries are usually ongoing in terms of developing relationships and friendships and uh, not compromising what you, what you believe, but getting to know people, even if you think you know what they believe, um, it doesn't mean that this particular guy believes that. Mm-hmm. He, he may be questioning that himself. So I, my approach is normally to talk with people, get to know them. What do you believe? Is this true that the church teaches this? And I was sharing with these guys. And, and a, let me just say another approach that I take is I always talk to people in the cults as people who are victims of the cult. And so I want them to see that they've been victimized by this lie also. Mm. I don't see them as being perpetrators of the lie. They're simply following orders and doing whatever, trying to earn their way to heaven. Right. And my point is simply just try to help them to see that you have been misled. You've been lied to. The Jesus of Mormonism is not the Jesus of the Gospels. Now, if he may be the Jesus of 2 Corinthians, because Paul says there's another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, all energized by Satan himself, who appears as an angel of light. But I try to help them to see that their organization has misled them. My, my central focus is who is Jesus Christ. Um, and I compare the Jesus of the Bible with the Jesus of Mormonism mm-hmm. or the Jesus of this second group that I'm, I'll be meeting with on Monday, and we've been meeting for about three weeks now, are people from the Unification Church. Uh, we call them the Moonies. Sung uh, Moonies. I didn't even, I didn't even know they were still found. around. Actually. Yeah, I didn't, yes. haven't heard them for a long time. Uh, they knocked on my door, and uh, we couldn't talk at the time because that was the beginning of, of covid uh, and she held my number for two years. Wow. And she called back and said, do you remember us? I said, yes. She said, well, we would like to get together with you. And I said, I'd love to get together with you. And uh, we've been meeting 
And um, you can see the, when you raise the issues of, of Jesus and who he is compared to who they say he is or who Reverend Moon is and, and so forth, you can see the uneasiness, but they keep plowing forward. So this past week, I asked them, I said, now, do you guys want to meet next week? And her husband mentioned to me that. Okay, Larry, you just froze up for a second there. Um, you said that uh, her husband mentioned to you. That's great, because I know God is at work in these people's lives. And um, I'm just praying that, you know, eventually at some point, it doesn't have to be with me. It could be sometime later that they will come to realize the truth of the gospel and who Jesus Christ is. But at this point, they're very open. They're very nice, very cordial, and uh, are willing to continue to meet. So that's a positive. Well, you're, you're very patient in your approach. Uh, Larry, we're, we're out of, about out of time. Uh, we appreciate hearing your story and your search for truth. I, <laughs> I know you've always been philosophical, and it's, we always have rich conversations when we're together. Uh, today, the big the big philosophy seems to be that there's the universe out there that directs us and that everybody has their own truth. Uh, there's still a lot of truth seekers today though, that are not satisfied with that. Can you just close us out by telling us why you think Jesus is the answer for them? Because God says he is. Because God says he is. Can, can I read a passage, Charles, real yeah, quickly? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would tell a person, for well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. That whosoever believes John three whosoever John three sixteen. I just want to read this passage because I think it's such it it, it kind of says it all. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So I would tell a person, seekers, <clears throat> God loved the world. He gave his son. And his son, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son. And if you believe that truth, he'll save you. If you believe that truth, he will lead you out of darkness into the light, for he is the light of the world. So Jesus is the answer. Yes, he's the answer because God decided to send Jesus 
to meet our deepest need. Our deepest need was not money or success. Our deepest need was not education. Our deepest need was the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with the God who created us. Amen. That was our deepest need. And that's where God met us. For the preaching of the cross looks like foolishness to those who don't believe. It looks like foolishness. Mm -hmm. A dead Jew dying on a cross 2,000 years ago, what does that have to do with me? Okay? The, the has everything to do with you. I, I was reading 1 Corinthians, and, and I, I should have said this as part of my story. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 was a powerful passage for me as I was coming to Christ because he talks about the preaching of the cross being foolishness and the wisdom of God. And the, the verse says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And I used to marvel at that. God's mm. foolishness, if you could apply the word foolishness to God, mm. his foolishness <laughs> is wiser than your wisdom. And I was a guy who thought I was kind of wise. And you, you know? had read all the people who were philosophers who and I, and I everyone read the, thought was wise. I read the wise people. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So your search brought you to Jesus Christ and um, somebody today who's listening and not sure about their future and eternity and not sure uh, about where they stand with God can know through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose from the dead, offers that gift of eternal life to you. If you're listening today, right now, well, Larry, uh, boy, we could talk forever. We always do when we get together. <laughs> this is, is one of our shorter <laughs> conversations, but uh, great to see you and talk with you. And uh, thanks for spending your time with us. And say hi to your wife, Dawn. And Larry has two children and a growing number of grandchildren. And uh, uh, we we go way back. But now, so we've only told the best parts of our story, though. <laughs> Thank God. Um, so, Larry, look, thanks but a lot. It's great. Charlie, thank you. Thank you for just allowing me to tell the story. I, I hope this is helpful to someone. Uh, I hope there are people who, who really come to understand that uh, no matter what you hear out here, two and two is still four. Hmm. Men are men, women are women. I know we have a conflict about that these days. You don't get you don't get to choose your sex. You don't get to do all the things that the world is telling you that you can do. Two and two is still four. And God has set up the rules. Chromosomes are still chrome. DNA is DNA. You don't change those things. And so in the midst of all the the the, the darkness, the confusion, all of the things that are uh, out here trying to seduce you into believing come back to the fact that there's a God, there are absolutes, and those absolutes are rooted in the God who created all things and in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that has changed our lives about beginning in 1973 and until now. Yes. We share that. Larry, God bless you. Say, say hi right. to Dawn and thank you Will for do your do. time. All right, Charlie. Thank you so much. God bless you, brother.
What do you think about Larry's search for truth and how that led us together? We remain fast friends today, but we would both like you to know the one who called himself the way, the life, the truth, and the life. It's Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be with him forever. His resurrection is our guarantee that his promise is true. As John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that promise was for Larry, he found to be true, was for me, and I found it to be true, and it's just as true for you. Believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life and spend eternity with him. And your life will also change in this life, in this world. So, if you like our grace story, would you please uh, like that on your podcast, comment on it, subscribe to our podcast stories and uh, our Simply by Grace podcast, and many, many more people will be able to share in these wonderful stories of how God changes lives. Thanks for being with us. Grace and peace. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.